0: y'all welcome to the springs my name is john i serve as pastor here at the springs i am glad to be with you i don't know if anybody's noticed we've been running this video the past two weeks it's kind of like light dubstep theme anybody else liking that yeah half the people are like love it the other half are like what's dubstep i don't understand well all that to say is uh welcome to the spring is it, it, the is the video showed we're working our way right now through the book of james just the letter of james James, half-brother of Jesus. And the passage where we find ourselves today is what I would really put before you guys, and I will. It's, It's the crescendo of the whole book. It's the mountaintop moment where everything before has been leading to it and everything after points back in this beautiful theme of what God wants to do in my life. And if you're a believer in him, what he wants to do in yours. But before we jump into that, I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Anybody have a New Year's resolution this year to go to the gym? It's about halfway through February, so it's like the guilty point check-in, right? One, I didn't make that resolution because I knew I would not be resolved in carrying it out. But I wanna put before you guys this hypothetical scenario, right? Let's say I came to you, right? Because what I do have is a membership to a gym. Let's say I came to you and I said, man, I am love taking care of my physical health. I love the stewardship of my physical body, which I would put before you guys is a form of discipleship, right? Let's say I came here and I said, I love doing that. Now in reality, I can excel still more. I'm working on it, right? But I said, man, I just love it. I'm all about it. That is me. It's what I care about, the stewardship of my physical health. And then I set it up and I said things like, and man, here's what I have access to. Let me tell you about everything I have. I have access to more free weights than your likely local CrossFit gym could ever afford. Yeah, I have access to that. Like I'm talking, I have an entire bank. I think they're called dumbbells. Yeah, that's embarrassing. But dumbbells, like man, I can go from five pounds to like a hundred pounds. There's this huge mirror. It's always well-cleaned where I can sit there and act like I have the perfect form as I like flex stuff, and there's other people doing things. I have dumbbells. I have mirrors. I can do squats. I can do bench presses. I can do pull-ups. That's just free weights. That doesn't even include like, like the machines. I have so many machines that I literally, they have these kind of like stick figure pictures on them because they show you how to use them because I have no idea what they're used for. So I have to go up and look at it. I have access to all these machines. I can come, and there's literally a bank of treadmills. God forbid I do some cardio, right? This bank, some of y'all are like, you could do a little more cardio. We love you, though. Keep going, right? There's this bank of treadmills. They look up at TVs. I love TV. I literally have TVs everywhere. I have options. And let's say right beyond that, y'all, I, I, I can get to at least three professional-grade quality basketball courts. I can go to multiple pickup games throughout the week. I can play pickleball multiple times. Like, it is scheduled. It's legit, and I can go. There's this track above it to where if I, for some reason, like, you know what, I'm going to mix it up today on the treadmill and watching the news, I can go and just run laps and think to myself, okay, I ran one. Dear God, get to two. Okay, dear God, get to three. That's me running right? I have access to all of that. That doesn't even include, there's these rooms and there's these sections behind where people go. Professionals, and I I don't have to pay extra for it. Professionals go and they lead classes. They lead classes. I can go and I can wake up super early in the morning and hate myself, but then feel good about myself. I have that option. I have options later throughout the day. I have everything. They'll even take care of my little one, Lily. This doesn't even include, my favorite part, my favorite part, three pools, not one, three. I have one, I can go and swim laps. I have another, I can go, and it's like a diving well if I want to practice my diving ability, right? And then I have another, it's purely recreational. You hang out in there, there's like a basketball hoop, there's this kind of, it's not that impressive, but it's still pretty cool, like little lazy river thing. There's this little playground for little ones. I have access to all of that, not to mention a surprisingly well kept and clean locker room. Let's say I came and I said, Man, I love physical health. I love taking care of that. And I went through this, Listen, man, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And then you came to me and you just said, When was the last time you used it? When was the last time you went? There's like that long pause. And I look at you and I was like, well, and here's the truth. It's been two months. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) People are like, I honestly thought I was going to stay longer. Really? (laughs) That's hurtful. No, no, no. It's cool. Right? But it's been two months. I haven't used a single thing. I haven't been there. I haven't been to this gym. I haven't done any of it. I haven't used anything. You, you, you could look at me and then say, well, man, if you haven't used it, really, even though you have all that, it's useless. It's, it's, it's completely useless. You're not using it. Therefore, it is useless. Here's, here's the reason I start with that. All right? Here, here's the theme that we're going to see in James. Here's this crescendo effect that this book is driving towards. Is how we as followers of Jesus Christ, by faith, in faith alone. We have the privilege, access to so much, the ability to work out what he has done within us, to grow in strength, in stature, by works and in deeds. Yet if we don't do it, that faith is useless. It's useless. So this morning... What I'm gonna teach you from James chapter two is, is this truth. Faith without faithfulness is useless. Faith without faithfulness is useless. And here's what I mean by faithfulness. Faithfulness being because of faith, belief, we act on it. We go into it. Not that, not that behavior saves you. We're gonna spend a bunch of time. That's not true. But faithfulness is where you and I, Christians, Because of what we believe, we do something about it. James has really set that up throughout this book to where those works, that faithfulness, really shows up in two categories. First category being, man, you have to go love the orphan, love the widow, give your life away. The greatest life you will ever find is one where you don't try to make it about you. Who modeled that? Jesus Christ. How do we find that? Through Jesus Christ. How does that manifest itself? In love of him and others. So that's the first theme he's been sharing. The second theme, the other form of works, the other, the other pursuit of faithfulness that leads to a faith that's not useless, that's not dead, is where we fight to love God and actually, in New Braunfels, hear me on this, actually hate sin. That's the second form. So what is James going to teach you and what has he been teaching me all week? Faith without faithfulness is useless where are we going to see this we're going to see it in James chapter 2 we're going to look at verses 14 through 26 it's going to be a bigger section 14 through 26 and why do I think this matters and I'm sorry y'all my throat it's been a longer week I just got to get something to drink real quick that's if you want it's almond milk some of you are like is that breast milk no now some of you are thinking did he just say breast yes I did, we're so glad you're here, right? (laughs) No, I I reached for this and immediately everybody looked at me and and there's a bit of laughter, but it's just weird. It's just There's no other way to say it. It's like creepy, weird, why? Grown men should not drink from babies' bottles. That shouldn't be what it looks like. If you're here and this is for you, here's why I think that this matters so much. Like church, hear this. Paul is writing to you, and he's writing to me this theme. He wants us to combat, in the kindest way I can really put it, patty cake Christianity. Child's play. He wants us to combat patty cake Christianity, and he wants us to instead grow up. Grow up. This theme, it's taught elsewhere. There's famous passages where even if you see the milk, for those of you who may know your Bible, you'll know this. I'm just gonna read it. It's, it's out of Hebrews chapter five, verses 12 through 16. I'm gonna use this passage to demonstrate what James is saying throughout this, what's a theme all throughout scripture. Verse 12, for though by this time, and the people I'm talking to right now, if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm not talking to you. Don't even worry about anything I'm about to say. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's speaking to folks who've known God, walked with God, claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles. That just means words. The word of God. You need milk like a child, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, what are they? Is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. What are they trained by? Constant practice, faithfulness to distinguish good from evil. Church, what James is gonna show us, the thread of what he's been saying is real faith really shows up. He's gonna remind us. He's gonna call you and me to faithfulness. He's saying grow up. Now, if you're here and you don't believe in God or like you're wrestling with it or a parent brought you or a friend brought you and you're just getting free lunch out of it and it's the only reason why you're here, here's why I think you're really excited for this day. Because this day, through James, what you're going to see is God, like a good representation of what God is actually all about, where God's going to lean into the lives of believers, lives just like mine. He's going to share this theme, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. So if you're here and you tend to think that the church, man, all it is is bloated talk. There's no real follow through. They are people that cry out pro-life, but their hearts don't ever search for. How do we steward life? How do we take care of it in our homes? How do we potentially sacrifice and do things so we can care for it? If you think the church is full of people who give talk of, hey, man, you shouldn't really have sex before you get married. Yet their relationships look no different. Yet the church is full of people who say, hey, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And yet they're the worst neighbors. You can be around Christians who are still on milk when they should be on meat. And what James is saying, which, which I get in those areas of my life, talk is cheap. Why does this matter? Though? Why? Because as you and I mature, as we grow in what the text will see, We give honor and glory to God, and it's the best life we'll ever live. Where are we going to see it again? It's James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. We're going to talk about it in three ways as we examine the theme. Faith without faithfulness is useless. We're first going to talk about the evidences of faith. Then we're going to look at what is the, the essence of faith. And the third thing that we're going to address, who are the examples of Faith. What I want to do uh, before I set up the text, kind of tell you some of the background, is I'm going to read through all of it, though. because This is a text where, as you begin to see it, if you've grown up in church, it's it's very familiar. This is a passage that is, in my opinion, literally probably the most argued-over passage in your Bible. It not only splits denominations, it changes faiths, right? So I'm going to read through it, and I'm going to set it up they are going to talk about it. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to James chapter 2 or on your phone or whatever you've got. I'm going to read all the way through 26. And I'm going to try to read this quick. For what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Right? If you grew up in church, if you know the gospel, immediately your like spidey sense, your spiritual spidey sense just start to tingle. Because we as Christians, what we know is you do not work your way to heaven. You believe in Jesus Christ. And that's what secures your position in heaven. But we do believe that from that faith, we are called to faithfulness. Can that faith save him? And then he goes on, he gives this example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, and this is his repeated thesis throughout, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, what is it, church? I need you to say that word. Dead. Say it one more time. Dead. Yeah, it's dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have works. Well, we'll talk about in a second the quote marks you see there. I'm gonna make an argument for why they go to the end of verse 18 and not here. It, it'll, it'll make sense in a bit. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith By my works, verse 19, James responds. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You want to be shown, and then he goes after this person. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? Again, spiritual spidey sense should be tingling, going off. Justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. There's this intimate relationship, and faith was completed. Spidey sense should go off. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person, they're justified by works and not by faith alone. Spidey sense going off. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. You may know Rahab the harlot, justified by works when she received the messengers, and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So here's to set this text up. Right, James, he's writing this letter proclaiming the worthy work, how by faith we are meant to go to work. But there's two real, that people would say, hurdles when it comes to this text. The first is the apparent seemingly contradiction. And today we're going to, we're going to, Bible college for a little bit. It's going to be really fun. Just stay with me, right? The seeming apparent contradiction between James, right, and how you're saved by works. you got to, you got to do good things to go to heaven. And then, if you know your Bible, well, by, by the name of Paul, Jesus, other places. Like, it looks like a contradiction. So much so, Mar- Martin Luther, he's the great reformer. He led the Protestant Reformation. He changed the word. No, no, no. What do you need? Because of the word of God, you're saved, not by works. Catholic Church has taught, hey, faith is true, but it gets you in the game. What keeps you in the game and puts you into heaven, it's work. It's, it's getting after it. And Martin Luther came, and he rightly, by God, through him, showed folks, no, no, it is just faith. So the first hurdle we got to come across is, wait, wait, are, are James and Paul, as people have said, are they foes fighting each other? No. You have, you have to peel back this text. You, you really got to look at it. You got to examine it. You got to study it. Because all scripture is true and you teach it in accordance with scripture. And when you peel it back, you begin to see, no, they're not foes fighting each other. They're friends fighting back to back opposing forces. James combats this theme of, well, I'm just saved. Therefore, it doesn't matter really what I do. No. Paul's going after, well, I know I need to have some form of belief, but really I got to work my way there. No. They're fighting back to back, not in opposition. We'll show you that. The second theme you'll really see, and this is the part, honestly, I have spent more time studying this passage in an encouraging way than I have any other passage since I came to the Springs and started publicly teaching like this. The reason for that is many times the way this theme and direction is taught is through the lens of James is preaching to this church community. But right here, people will teach that he shifts it he starts to say, some of you think you're believers, but you're really not. Questioning salvation, right? Where there's this shift towards salvation. Now, what people agree is up to this point, the theme of it's been sanctification. How do I, how do I help you look more like God? How, how, do I, how do I hold up the mirror to your life to where you examine it? And you're not just a hearer, but you're a doer. You don't deceive yourself. You don't lie to yourself that you become perfect and complete, that you grow in maturity, that that your religion is not worthless, useless. I've heard it taught that way many times. Here's what I'm telling you. You can love God, love your Bible, and teach it that way. God just won't let me teach it that way this morning. Like my conviction and my stance on that, it's not the same. Instead, here's what I really think James is teaching, or before I say what James is teaching. What is true is your Bible teaches in multiple places. You've heard me say it multiple times. It's part of even what he did in my story. You can think you're a Christian and not be one. You you can cry out, Lord, Lord, but in reality, because there's no saving faith, God's response when you meet him in eternity can be, I never knew you. People can have a confused faith. Language I've used in the past is a deceived faith. That is is true what is also true is faith goes to work can you have seasons where you don't excel still more yes but if you bank your life on those seasons and you build a theology around that james goes after it paul goes after it romans 6 there's great places may it never be who are we to take advantage of grace Church, what I think James is doing here is he's speaking to the exact same audience he's been speaking to before. He's writing to a church body and he's saying the primary intention of this text is not inspection of your eternal salvation, questioning whether or not you're saved. I think he's writing about production of of your salvation, what it produces. It's not inspect the root to see whether or not you really believe, even though that's true and taught elsewhere biblically. It's not just inspect the root. It's produce the fruit. So, y'all, as you come and you see this, depending on the environments you've been in, I'm going to make an argument for why. Hey, here's why I'd see it through this lens. And I think that you, just like me, Lord willing, and if not, what I'm telling you is people can love their Bible, teach it differently, and they're God-fearing men and women. Bless them. But by the end of this time, I'll show you why. It's not my stance, not my conviction. So with that, let's jump in the Bible, okay? We're gonna read again verses 14 through 17. 14 through 17, this will be our first section. What good is it, good there, it means of what benefit? To what advantage is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? James here, he's putting forward a rhetorical question. He's saying, he's like, man, can it save you if you have faith but you don't have works, right? The the implied answer there is no. Implied answer there is no. If a brother or sister, and then he switches and he gives an example of it. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, he's gonna use the word daily, in another second he's gonna use the word need. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He gives an example where he sets it up, and he says you have an actual chance to not give to someone's greed, but to meet someone's need. What good is that? That's of no benefit. That's of no help. And then he comes to his thesis, his summary point. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, faithfulness is dead. The first theme out of this text we gotta talk about is the evidence of faith. The evidence of faith. What what is evidence? Evidence is something where you can come and it's a practical demonstration of, it gives support for something. It begins to prove something. A good tree bears good fruit. Evidence of, what is the evidence of faith? James starts out here, hey, what good is it, my brothers? To what advantage? And then who is he talking to? the same audience he's been talking to before. My brothers, the family of God. How is, it, how is it helpful? You say, I have faith, or I'm sorry. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Here's the answer. If you know the rest of your Bible, if you believe by grace through faith, if you're a of Jesus Christ, that's the only way you go to heaven. Nothing you do, there is no works the answer to that question should be yes. How was the thief on the cross? How did he evidence his faith? He didn't. He died on a cross right after he came to believe. Works are not necessary for your salvation, but works are evidence. They bring support to, they demonstrate a changed heart. This is why people begin to build the thesis of, or excuse me, the theme of Paul and James don't get along. No, man. If you remember back to our first week, Paul and James were friends. Like Paul went to James and said, hey man, can you help me think through this? They were friends. So what does this mean here? That word save that you see. In the Greek, it's sozo. Right? It it can mean to deliver one from heaven and hell, eternal salvation. It can mean that. It can also mean to keep one from harm, from danger, So you and I, because James and Paul are friends, they don't disagree, we got to start asking the question, why would he put save there? That leads us to biblical word studies. Biblical word study. If you ever want to go and study what a word means in a Bible, here's what you do. It's like a a ring when you throw a rock into a pond. It sends out ripples. You start right there, and the first question you see is, how does the author, James, use that same word elsewhere in this book? right? Because you want to see, okay, how is he using it? Because what's true is we can use language differently, but it's the same word. I'll I'll prove this point in a minute when we talk about the word dead, right? Because dead here, I'm going to put before you, it does not mean spiritually dead going to hell. It means useless, worthless, inoperative, ineffective. That's the translation there. Why does it mean that? You see it proved throughout the entire context. But what's true about us, even in the English language with the word dead, It's why James and Paul can use the same word and yet mean different things. I can say to you, man, I ran in a race. I came in dead last. I was the last person. I can come to you and I say, man, when I get home and my mom finds out, I am dead. Means I'm in a ton of trouble. I can say to you, hey, a dear loved one has passed away and they are now dead. Same word, three different uses. James and Paul don't contradict each other. That's why he's saying there, saved. It's not salvation, heaven, and hell. He's saying it keeps you from danger. We see James do this. If you want to go back to the word study, you can expand it out. We'll have it up here. You can turn in your Bible, James chapter 1, verse 21. If you remember when we taught on this text, we taught on how obedience is a hallmark of God's people. James chapter 1, verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. you got to get rid of sin, church. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What do we obey? We obey the word of God. And then where does it go? Which is able to save. Sozo, same word, your souls. If you remember then, what, what is true? What is true? Yes, by believing in the gospel, you are saved eternally. But what was James teaching here? He's saying, you want to have a better life? You want to be free from pain, the snares of difficulty? Trust in God. Believe in him. Follow him. It's a wisdom passage where he's teaching to, I want it to go well with you. He's building his case. James and Paul, they don't contradict each other. They are not fighting foes. They are friends. James goes on, and he gives an illustration He says, here's why faith without faithfulness, it's useless. It it needs evidence. He sets it up right here in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Of what benefit is that? He's giving an example of it's useless faith. If you stand there, and this person, would have literally been an example of not just anybody. It's talking about like a church member. Like your friend in the other community group sits there and says, man, I'm sincerely daily and without need. They're not being lazy. They're not being indifferent. They're not being a poor steward. They have a sincere need. And yet we, we came in our faith and we just thought to ourselves, man, go be warm and be filled. I'll pray for you. James is literally saying that's worthless. Absolutely useless. Faith is meant to do something. You're meant to be God's man or God's woman in that moment to bring provision in life. Why? Because that is what Jesus Christ did for you and he did for me. It's meant to be shown. It's meant to be proved. And so James gives this point. Faith without faithfulness is useless. And the next verse. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead here, Uh, this is another great one. Again, we got to peel the veil off. Dead here, he's not speaking to spiritually and religiously dead, heaven and hell. He's saying useless, ineffective, inoperative, without effect, worthless. He's not going in the illustration, saying to the person above, the church member that blew him off, he's not saying to that person, you're not a Christian. But he's saying, you're sure not living as a Christian because that faith is alive And it changes you. Yesterday, I had the chance or the privilege. I'd been looking to buy a car for a couple months. Finally found one, bought it off Craigslist. It was in Dallas. Went to go look at it. Show up to this kind of off the road, sketchy little dealership. But if you know my car buying history, because I've talked about it here before, it was better than last time. Okay? So we are moving forward. But I go to buy it, and I'm there by myself. I go and I check out. I look at the car, inspect it. I drive it all around looking for this car. All right, decide, hey, we're going to get it. My wife, the next day we go back to look at the car. She comes with me. We're basically going to check out and buy it. Right? We're about to show up to get to this place where, where the car is. And my wife turns to me and she looks at me and says, man, did you share your faith with him? My wife's awesome. You share your faith with him? Why'd she ask me that? She knows that's something I care about. She knows that is an operative form of what faith does. She knows that a faith that talks about it, it's not useless in the moment. It's effective, it's put to work, it's used. I looked at her, nope. And I confessed to her, I didn't even think about it. Didn't even think about it. So she gives me that moment, there's this pep talk. She doesn't shame me or judge me, she loves me. She goes in there, we go in there, and I'm sitting there, I'm sitting across from the table, and I'm asking these questions, and and um, next month we're gonna do a training on how to share your faith. There's great questions that I use to bridge to a faith conversation to where you don't just feel like a super weirdo Christian, but that can still happen, right? So I'm sitting here, man, and I am throwing my best conversational stars at this guy. They were good. None of them worked. Not a single one of them. So we're sitting there, and I can remember getting the last page as I'm signing for this car. And I can remember getting there and thinking to myself, none of those worked. Now my only option is just jump into the awkward moment and graciously say, hey, man, I know this is strange as I'm coming to check out for a car, right? But it's a significant thing. One of the things that impacts me when I go to think about significant decisions is my faith. Years ago, I became a believer in Jesus Christ. I know that sounds strange, but man, I just wanted to ask you before I left here. Do you have a faith? Spirituality, any type of belief system, like God, dislike God, do you have a faith? I knew my last option was just just jump in it, man. I signed that paper and I walked out the door. My faith was useless. I have no idea whether or not that guy's a believer. We, We connected later in the day. I have no idea whether or not that guy's a believer. Does God need me to save him? No, God is sovereign, God saves, but does he use his people? Does he use that faith working through him? Yes, so faith without works is dead. And in that moment, my faith was dead. Not that I wasn't going to salvation with God in heaven, but it was of no use. It wasn't honoring to God. It wasn't edifying to me. And it was not helpful to him. Church, faith without faithfulness, it's useless. James is appealing to you and he's appealing to me. God in heaven has so set you free. We are meant to be useful to the master. That's why James and Paul don't contradict. There's a famous passage, many of you probably know, it's Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. There's these two verses that really summarize the gospel. It's verses eight and nine. We'll, we'll put it up here for you. You, you can turn there, but it's, it's Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, where it explicitly lines out how you and I have a relationship with God. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How do you and I spend eternity with God in heaven? You believe Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins. He died on a cross. He rose three days later from the grave to prove everything is true. Believe in me. He doesn't ask you to behave. He asks you to believe, and then from belief it changes the way you and I live. So people see that and they say, look, that's what James taught, or excuse me, that's what Paul taught. That's not what James is teaching. No, 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 no. James is the next verse. Oftentimes we share Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but we leave out verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Why? That we should walk in them. You've been saved so you can be sent church faith without faithfulness is dead it's useless and it's ineffective let's keep going because james is going to double down on his point because what he's going to foresee is objections to it objections to it verse 18 but someone will say so before i read 18 through 20 what james has done is he's created this argument here where he's going to put before him this objector and then James is going to respond. It's like a hypothetical dialogue. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Again, I would move the quotes down at the end of the verse. I'll tell you why that matters. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. What's the objector saying? Faith and works should be the same thing. The same thing. Faith equals works. James is going to come back and say, no, no, no. Faith produces works. But don't get it twisted. Faith does not equal works. Verse 18, continuing to 19. This is James' response. You believe that God is one. Some of you may know, if you grew up Jewish, that's a Shema. If you don't know that, you got friends who are Jewish who take it seriously, they pray that every day. It's Deuteronomy 6:4. You believe that God is one. You do well. He's building on what good is it. He's saying it is of benefit. You do things from believing. Even the demons believe and shudder. And then he sets it up this way. He stops answering questions and he starts asking questions to this hypothetical objector. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? The second theme out of this text, if if what we saw before is faith does evidence itself, it shows up, good trees bear good fruit in church. We are called to bear glorious fruit fruit the second theme from this text is what is still the essence of faith does he contradict paul or does he keep going and stay true to the gospel he stays true he sets it up here again thinking back at the beginning verse 18 so he's got this objector why do i move the quotes towards the end so originally in the greek language quotes are not a punctuation mark so People have come, and in the English language, they've come, and based on context, added these things for your help and for my help. If you have an NIV Bible, your quotes will end where those quotes ended with my ESV. If you have an NASB, New American Standard Bible, it'll go all the way to the end of the verse. Why does it matter? Right? Because it changes the objection. Right? And why do I think the objection includes all of it? It's because it makes sense based on the context. Like what what the objector's doing is he's going and saying, okay, James, all right, let's let's play this game, right? I'll, I'll follow with you. Let's say this, you have faith, I have works. And then he sets it up. I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll see your faith by your works. It's the premise. Faith and works are the same thing, man. Faith and works are the same thing. Church, that should make your spiritual spidey sense tingle. That's where you begin to see why people have argued over passages like this, as we've already seen for centuries. Why our friends, if you're here and you're Catholic, it may not be your doctrine, but the absolute doctrine that you'd find from the Vatican and Rome would be teaching faith plus works equals salvation. That is not gospel. It is faith alone. That saves. And that faith does lead to change. But it's faith alone that saves. So that's this gentleman's, eh, he's an objector. He's not that kind of a guy, right? So that's his premise. And then James goes on and he begins to give his answer, right? First thing you're going to see is this beautiful example. James, smart guy, brilliant guy, built a brilliant argument. He sets this almost rhetorical trap, right? Where he says, hey, even you, even you, you believe that God is one and you do well. He's giving evidence for it. You believe. And you do well. Works come from the belief. He's almost agreeing with the objector. But then he sets it up. But even the demons believe. And they shudder. Anybody ever heard somebody talk about a demon's faith? Demon's faith? Nobody? Here's what's true of demons. Demons, and I wish I had more time. i would give you a full list of everything throughout the New Testament. Demons have phenomenal orthodoxy all throughout scripture you see demons who will spend eternity in hell apart from god acknowledge jesus christ as the holy one of god am i saying that saving faith no but this text he's saying they believe just like you and i believe what's the difference though that faith does not produce works and no good works is what i should say There's nothing glorious, good, holy, or right. There's no evidence in a godly sense of what that faith really produces. So James puts demons forward as the most extreme example of, okay, you think belief and works are the same thing? They believe. I bet you don't think they're going to heaven. A lot of my friends that would teach this passage differently they would say, hey, the reason James is putting forward demons here is he's trying to draw out the contrast of there's a faith that saves and there's a faith that doesn't save. Now, here's what I'm telling you. That's true. That is seen throughout the Bible contextually based on this because of the second half of James, where it's built, the different uses of words and language and how the rest of the argument is so set up, I don't think that's accurate. I do not think that is fully accurate. And they'd say, they don't think I'm accurate. That's why it matters to know your Bible, read your Bible. Be a Berean. Search the scriptures to see if it is so. Go home and investigate this and see by the power of the Holy Spirit, where does my conviction sit? What there's grace towards is teaching this in a God-fearing way, going to exhort the body without any form of heresy, but calling to differently, but church what there's no, well, there is grace towards it, but what you should not be patient with is indifference towards, well, I don't really care what it means. If he said it, okay. Faith without faithfulness, it's useless. Even demons believe in shudder, and then he sets it up. He switches from answering questions to asking, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is, what's the word there? Useless. He's repeating his same theme. He's proving faith there. It's not spiritually dead, heaven and hell. He's proving it's ineffective, it's useless. How how do we even know that? In the Greek here, the word works, it's ergos, E-R-G-O-S. I know we're doing, it's Bible college today, ergos, right? The work there for useless, argon, E-R-G-O, ergo. It's like an ergonomic chair. It works for you. It's made ergonomically. It's where we get that word. Ergo is the word for work. Argon is the word for useless. Ergo, argo. He's got a play on words. He's using sarcasm to drill home his point. They're not the same thing. But faith, without faithfulness, it's dead. It's useless. It's not helpful to them or to others. I can remember thinking through this in my life. Um, If you know my story, I went into college really a fool. I grew up in what I call a church attending home. Would have said I was a Christian, but into college. It wasn't until years later I realized I said I was a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian. It wasn't until after I came to an encounter with the living God and the realization of the gospel. I don't work my way. He came down to me, and all I must do is believe. But before that happened, here's what you would have seen was true of my life. There was a season in my life where I was doing everything I could. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible, not all the time. Reading my Bible, I was trying not to cuss. I was doing better at not fighting. I was doing better at not drinking. I was doing better at not looking at pornography. I was doing it better at not fooling around with females. I said I was going to church already. I had joined a volunteer team to serve on the parking team. I was a community group leader. I'll tell you a story one day. I got kicked out. I was a community group (laughs) leader. If faith in works, are the same thing. People would have looked at my life and said, Christian, I'm not saying my life wasn't confusing. I'm not saying I wasn't confused. What I'm saying is those are not the same thing. It wasn't until later where I really realized what real faith was. It changes you, it sets you free. It calls you out of darkness into marvelous light. You don't work for it. You don't have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You have to believe in a Jesus Christ who died for you The same way he died for me. So what I want to do, guys, as we think about this text, is this is James, the worthy work. As we keep looking through this, because today what we're going to do is, this is just part one of this passage. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to see where James, he's going to double down on his argument. He's going to show faith changed these people's eternal destinies. And from that, they were faithful, man. We celebrate them. And it is good and it is right to do that. He's going to give examples of faith with faithfulness. It's beautiful. It's what attracts you to people when you get around them and you meet folks who are imperfect, but they sincerely love Jesus Christ. And you get around them and you're like, man, I just want to be like them. I want to be around them. There's something attractive about that James is appealing to you. He's holding up the mirror. He's saying, look more like your father in heaven. He's saying, be a doer. Stop lying to yourselves about patty cake Christianity by patting yourself on the back because you come to church, occasionally you open a Bible, you have a compassion kid, you went to a gala and gave away money but never enough money where it really hurt. And then you walk around and maybe you got one of those like fish things on the back of your car. It doesn't make you a Christian. James, he's coming and he is appealing to the truth of just because you and I may have walked down the aisle as a child and kneeled before a pastor and said a prayer, that prayer doesn't save you. What saves you? Believing the prayer, believing it. And what does that belief do? That belief does not work to prove that it's true. It works because it is true. I'm going to say that one more time. That belief does not work to only prove that it is true. It works because it is true. Faith does not equal works. That is a false teaching from the pit of hell. There's a Father in heaven who loves you. Who wants to call you his family. He looks at you the same way he looks at me. And he says you are a sinner separated from God. Your sins led to the death of my son on the cross. And as he died he thought of you as I sent him thinking of you. He rose from the grave three days later to prove no one took his life. He, he brought it back up. And he laid it down and then he took it up. And he came for you. And he came for me. Grasping that faith what does James appeal to us you are his workmanship you're his masterpiece you've been made worthy what do the worthy do the worthy go to work prepared in advance beforehand that we might walk in them faith without faithfulness it's useless that's part one Come back next week and we're gonna talk through. What are the examples that James sets up? How does he go to prove this? How does he nuance this in a way where you and I, we say, okay, how do we go to where it doesn't become like me and my gym membership that yes, I have it all, but it's of no use to me. But instead we become people who say, I want to be gloriously strong for the sake of my king. I got to see this lived out and I'll close with this. I got to see this lived out in a buddy of mine this past week, my wife and I, we had the chance though. we went to Dallas, hung out with some, some friends of ours, just had a great time getting to see them. It was really short, so it was sweet, just stayed with them. I can remember the first time I met him. I was working for a church in North Dallas. He came up, had this kind of rattled look to him, and he just said, man, I need a place to serve. He was looking for a volunteer area, right? Part of my role there, I help people with that. And I said, well, man, hey, come on. He and I, we began to build a relationship. I got to know him. Right? We served in multiple areas. I started spending time with him. He even came, my wife and I, we renovated. We had this detached garage, this house in Dallas. We renovated it and made it into like a single shoebox apartment. We rented it out to him. He lived in our backyard for a year and a half. Became one of my closest friends. As I got to know him, though, I figured out why he came that day, looking to find a place to serve. See, his story he's a good guy, he'd gone to Baylor. Right? He'd gone to Baylor, and while he was in college, he became a Christian. He realized you're saved by grace through faith. It changed his whole life. While he was there, he met another sweet young Christian gal. They started dating. They start dating. What do they want to be about? Hey, man, we've been dating for a while. We've been tracking. We should think through marriage. What it would it look like to get married? Here's the problem, though. He came to no faith. Yet from that point to the time of engagement, there was little pursuit of faithfulness little he ends up while they're engaged he takes a bachelor party you know it's a bad thing if your fiance has to make you commit to before you go on a bachelor party to say please don't go to strip clubs well this guy he and some friends they leave they were in doubt at this point they graduate they leave that he gets on a plane he goes to Austin spends a few days what does he do visits multiple strip clubs has a broken weekend, lots of sin not a lot of faithfulness he comes back she picks him up from the airport and she says how was it he knows what she's asking did you go he just looks at her and lies straight through his teeth says no justifies it to himself the whole rest of the day that night the way he describes it he couldn't even sleep couldn't even sleep He woke up the next morning. Why why is he feeling this conviction? He'd been around a body of believers that were starting to share with him. Faithfulness matters. Not walking in it is death. Walking in it is life. And he made one of the most courageous decisions of his life. He was faithful. He confessed it to her. Three days later, they called off the engagement six weeks before the wedding. Lost a ton of money. Hurt a ton of relationships. Shattered everything. Fast forward about six weeks. Six weeks. He's at that table looking at me. He hadn't talked to her since. Just saying, can you help me find a place to serve? He'd already been connected into a discipleship environment. It's the same one we do here Monday nights, regeneration, Christ-centered discipleship in a place where it's okay to not be okay. But as Christians, as James would say, it's not okay to stay there. He came and he laid aside the whole thing. He essentially embraced the reality of I ruined that. What I was meant to bring life to, I brought death to. He got connected there, he joined an environment, got connected to a body of believers that would come and they would no longer just sit back idly by and applaud themselves, again, for patty cake Christianity. But they would come and they say, faith without works, it's dead, it's useless, man. Let's go. Here's what it looks like to hate sin, to love God. Here's what it looks like to give your life away to somebody else. Here's what it looks like to not be a slave to a computer screen or the phone call or the bar or the greed of your money as you climb the corporate ladder. Come. This doesn't happen for everybody, but man, God made it happen for him. Year and a half later, he just set that relationship aside. He ends up seeing that same girl at that same community of faith going through that same recovery discipleship program. I remember him coming and saying, hey, do you think it'd be okay if I wouldn't have had a conversation with her? You know what his first conversation was? Not, hey, how do I get you back? Hey, will you forgive me? For everything I did, for my sin, for my offensiveness to first and foremost God, but you. Will you forgive me? I'm not here to try to get you back. I'm here to tell you I'm walking in repentance. I am striving to be faithful. You get around him now, right, in the story, they date for a season, got to be a part of, they they got married, man. They married two years expecting their first little one, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. He's one of those people where you get around him, and you see it even in his bride. He's got that attractive sense to him. And I don't mean physically. I mean holistically. Like he loves God. He fears God. He strives to be faithful in everything. Is he an imperfect idiot at times? Of course. But man, he does not want to walk by faith in a way that leaves him useless. Church, Faith without faithfulness is useless. Come back next week as we continue looking at James 2. Let me pray we do that. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the truth in my life that you came. And even at a time where I thought I was not a follower of you, where I was not a believer in you, you came and years later showed me, no, here's what real faith looks like. You've claimed the word Christian. Here's how my spirit makes you a little Christ, a follower of me. I thank you for that grace. I pray you do that in people's hearts here. Lord, I'm asking that we would never be Pharisees. We would not be legalistic. We would not overdo it. That we would not be jerks under the banner of just calling people to obey the word of God. But God, may we also, may we never be people who neglect faith without faithfulness. It's useless. You've called us to more. We are asking that your spirit drive us to more. Would you make this place, would you make those who believe in you, these people fearlessly committed to you, willing to acknowledge where they fall short, but endeavoring to excel still more, to be doers of the word, not here's only. Would you make that start in my life? And I thank you for the ways that it has. We give you this day. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, y'all, if you're here and you wanna come and finish out what is the end of effectively our membership class, we'd love for you to join us in room A if you're thinking about, hey, what's it look like to run with the folks here at the Springs? But if that's not for you, I pray you go and you think through, how does my faith have an impact? And throughout that, y'all go. Have a great week of worship. See you next week.